everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. Yeah, this is the podcast where we answer your emails and stuff. You control the conversation. Right here at Critically Acclaimed. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic for the purposes of this particular podcast, and this one only. I suppose you could do it with any of them. You may call me Rockmeister McCool. And, uh, yeah, this is the podcast where you send us emails. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. And uh, people send us emails. People send us emails uh, uh, critiquing our critiques, asking us questions, asking us for recommendations for movies or uh, to illuminate parts of the industry or film history whenever we can. Um, and, and everything in between, basically. So... Whether you want to talk about something serious or something silly or just want to share your experience uh, with some of the films that we've talked about or some of the shows that we've talked about on our programs, this is your show. Mm-hmm. And we don't like to waste a lot of time right at the beginning of the podcast because this is your show and you know us, we like to talk. So we can never get through all of our emails and we just have to do our best. So let's just dive right mm-hmm. in. Whitney, tell us about our first email. All right. Well, here is an email from Jeremy. Hello, Jeremy. Hi, Jeremy. Uh, hello, Bibbs and Rockmeister Mc- Macchio, that's a very strange spelling. Rock is spelled with a W. Uh, okay. <laughs> There's no uh, wrong every, spelling. Every spelling of Rockmeister McCool is correct. Um, the challenge. Your random conversations in your most recent episode of Critically Acclaimed has touched my most recent topic that has consumed my mind of late. Uh, I, I had a moment a week ago when I got spooked because I only have three and a half years until I turn 40. <sighs> Yeah, sure, add some young buck jokes, but I'm not far from you, Mr. Bibiani. Yeah, I'm 39. We're pretty close. I'm, I'm 58. You are not that. No, I'm, I'm 42. Yeah. Um, I recently asked my dad if he gathered with his peers at my age and complained about knee pain and how eating a whole plate of nachos <laughs> by yourself leads to a night of rolling around in bed in pain because of heartburn, and he just started to laugh. I found myself thinking, wow, I really should do something, like a trip somewhere, like a big trip, start saving now and blow the roof of him off of this popsicle stand that is my life and burn a couple thousand dollars on something extravagant. So I wanted to ask you, gentlemen, if you could take such a trip somewhere using the parameters of anywhere, doing anything, seeing whatever your heart would desire, where are you going? Also, an epitaph I always found myself entertaining to possibly use finally kicked that pesky breathing habit. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. That is a good one. Anyways, I hope you gentlemen uh, have uh, many more years before you need to finalize what your epitaph will be. Uh, Keep up the good work. Sincerely, Jeremy. Thank you. I like any email that that begins, includes, or concludes with, please don't die anytime soon. (laughs) That's that's Uh, the kind of encouragement I need. There's also a postscript. Um, The trip I'm thinking of, Hmm. uh, to to give uh, his uh, suggestion, is of a crazy trip to Walt Disney World for my nerd pilgrimage to Galaxy's Edge. Also, to spoil rotten, my three nieces and two nephews. I'm from Canada, and I live in another province. I'm unmarried. I don't have kids myself, so I like to spoil them when I can. And I'll be honest, uh, I left this postscript because if you do, if you don't want to read it, or if you do, if you are di- disappointed by my decision, you are free to omit it. Uh, no, we'll include it. <laughs> no, no, uh, we'll include it. It's fine. And I'm not disappointed. Um, Disneyland. Listen, we criticize Disney because it's a giant megalithic entertainment conglomerate that controls a lot of what we are exposed to. They do a lot of things that are absolutely worthy of criticism. However, under that giant umbrella that is Disney, they also do a lot of cool things. So it's hard to Mm. uh, pretend that they've never made a good movie or that they haven't done some incredible things to advance the medium of animation. Uh, Many of their uh, uh, developments in the realm of amusement parks Mm. 
uh, are astounding, mm-hmm. honestly. I, I think Patton Oswalt said it. You give someone with... Uh, you give someone who's obsessive compulsive like a billion dollars, they'll do incredible things, you know, mm. because there's so much attention to detail. Um, so going to Disney World, especially if you've never been, Disney World is neat. <laughs> I, I have no objection to Disney World as like a vacation destination, at least in principle. I know a lot of people who like go to Disneyland or Disney World constantly. And that's a choice that I don't think I would do. I, I appreciate yeah, that it's, a, it's neat, but the people with those annual passes and they go like every week and they go to the same yeah, they go to the same restaurant. I mean, or, they're they're just dropping for an afternoon. Yeah. It, that's I not for me, but I do appreciate Disneyland in a lot of ways. And maybe if I had an annual pass, I would go. We don't live that far away from Disneyland. You know, it's like like, yeah, it's, like in bad traffic, it's an hour. It, you know, it, like, it's a bit of a drive from where where we live. It's in yeah. Anaheim, California, which is. Um, yeah. A, a bit of a drive from Los Angeles, but but not unreasonable, and it was it's totally a day trip if you yeah, had a free day, yeah. you know. Um, so so I totally get it. It's not what I would do for my dream vacation, no, uh, but I'm curious I, what uh, you would do because you've actually more you're actually more well traveled than I am. Oh, uh, I, I I've been to certain places, yes. <laughs> uh, Disneyland wouldn't be my choice either. Um, actually, I've actually come to kind of loathe Disneyland, but that's me personally. I I know that uh, I have a very un, unpopular opinion. Uh, I, I hear some like Disney fans like if you had a, if you had a million dollars if you could do anything to the park if you could <laughs> make one decision it's permanent what would you do and the answer is like oh I'd bring back XYZ attraction something that's been taken out and uh, mine would be um, I'd go into It's a Small World and I'd set it on fire <laughs> and I'd laugh as it burned and that would be my and I'd walk away and it would never be rebuilt and that's I've, that's my decision I've come around um, I've come around on uh, mm-hmm. on it's a small world. I do appreciate. Oh, oh you like hell? Okay, good. Um, I never I said I didn't like hell. <laughs> um, yeah, D- Disneyland it isn't isn't for me. Uh, when it comes to like travel, um, travel, I had a uh, just do it, just go. Yeah, you know, find the money. There's ways to do it on the cheap. You can stay in hostels. You can see a lot of these tourist attractions for free. You know, if you go to if you want to go to France, you don't have to stay at a ritzy hotel. Plane tickets aren't you know aren't cheap, but uh, and you know I, I doubt people are willing to you, you know thumb a ride on a freighter across the Atlantic if they're coming going from the U.S. to Europe. But uh, there's plenty of ways to uh, go and just travel. Uh, you know, pretend you are uh, doing your gap year between high school and college, and just pack up a backpack and stay in hostels and and do the trip because it is totally possible. Because you will learn more and you will become a better person. By traveling. Mm. Uh, I had a, a teacher in high school who said that everyone should go around the world every decade or so because it's just good for your soul. Mm. And uh, I think I agree with that statement, with that, that uh, sentiment. Um, I haven't been everywhere in the world I'd like to go. Uh, I, as a teenager, I did get to visit a lot of uh, Europe and uh, parts of the Middle East. Um, when uh, I, I was 15 at the time and I have an older sister who had just turned 18 and my parents are divorced, so there's this big custody thing where I had to stay behind for half of uh, half of the year. So my family was traveling around the world, and I caught up with them in Cairo. So I uh, spent some time in Cairo, went mm. up through Israel. I did take a freighter from Israel to Cyprus up to Athens, uh, we've, and we sort, sort of make it a circuit through uh, Europe, all through this, like, six-month period. Wow. Um, and that's been one of the most enriching experiences of my life, and it was really, really wonderful. So I would recommend you just find an exotic, adventurous place. Mm. Uh, from wherever you live, just go far away from it. Yeah. Uh, and, 
there there have been places I would want to visit. I would want to go to Rio de Janeiro. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, if, if you're feeling particularly jaunty, try to take a little bit of a trip up the Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd want to go to uh, Bali or someplace, uh, you know, small remote island somewhere. I'd want to go to the like the North Pole. Yeah, you know, visit one of those uh, the stations up there. You know, see see what it's like to to live up in the North Pole. Um, that that's my instinct is to do something. Uh, difficult and spartan because i feel like that that is really experiencing the world i want something cozy and nourishing like i i there's a couple of things i would love to do i've never been to italy okay i would love to go to italy and i would love to do a tour of italy touring uh local cuisine Mm. like just try all of like the best places Uh, for for the best italian food from the source basically i would would, i would would love that would you want to go to the high-end Italian restaurants owned by celebrity chefs where you're spending, like, thousands of dollars on a single meal. Yeah, if or, I had the money, I would do that, too. But or mostly would you want, I want to... The, yeah, mostly I want the smaller places. Yeah, would you want, like, some mom-and-pop where it's a lot more authentic? I want the, I want authentic. I want... Okay. That's that's why I would go. I mm-hmm. can get fancy, inauthentic other places. I want authentic. So that would be wonderful. Yeah. Uh, but if I, if I went to an amusement park, there's actually one amusement park that uh, Michelle and I really want to go to. And I hadn't heard of it until recently. And if you look at the, the pictures, especially if you look at the videos, mm-hmm. like online, like YouTube, it's in the Netherlands. It's called Efteling. E-F-T-E-L-I-N-G. If you like amusement parks and you don't know it, do yourself a favor <laughs> and look up some of the things here. Now, this is a Netherlands amusement park and it's built around fairy tales. The attention to detail is astounding. It looks like you're walking into, like, you know when, like, Studio Ghibli does something European, like Howl's Moving Cats? It looks like you're walking into that. Oh, it's wow. It's gorgeous. It looks incredible. Oh, Some of the attractions have of, aged poorly because, you know, fairy culture. Or, yeah. The culture. But the, most of them look... <laughs> because like, culture. <laughs> yeah. But most of them look absolutely stunning. And seriously, just watch some videos. Efteling, look it up, look it up if you don't know it. Mm-hmm. It looks gorgeous, and I would definitely want to do that. It's kind of funny that you should mention walking into a Studio Ghibli movie, because there is a Studio Ghibli land yeah. uh, in Japan. Uh, I haven't been to Japan. That's that's yeah, the place I want to go. Is I want to yeah. go to Japan. Or want to go oh, to China, I'd love to do a sushi tour of Japan. Go, go, to, oh. go to Jiro's Sushi Joint. You, yeah, if, if, yeah. on the two-year wait I was, I was about to say, yeah. uh, book it now and go in like six years when you yeah. finally get a seat. Oh, God, I'd love to, though. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I I can't think of any like amusement parks that I'd like to go to or, oh, yeah, or take my kid to. They just brought it up and it happened to be one I'm yeah. excited about going to see a, someday. A place I'd, I've always wanted to go to and haven't is the Mütter Museum in in uh, Philadelphia. What's that? Uh, it's it's a, a medical oddities museum, oh. uh, one of the biggest uh, in in the in the country. And That's they, yeah, and, and if you if you're into like um, you know mutated taxidermied animals or, you know, here, here's the bowel of a man who had an obstruction and we just put it in a case and you can look at it. Um, I like that kind of stuff. These sort of like weird, dark uh, corners of medical history. That, that's that something I want to say. There's an H.R. Giger Museum in oh. uh, in Switzerland. Oh, yeah, that's uh, cool. Yeah, I'd want to I'd see that. And of course... I'd want to see all of the great art in the world. Oh, of I'd, I'd want to go to the Louvre. The Sistine I'd, Chapel. Yeah, I'd want to see the yeah. Sistine Chapel. I've seen, I didn't see David, oh. uh, but I saw a copy of David. Oh, uh, that's when, fine, when I was then. in When I was in Italy, I think it's, it's in close Florence. Enough. I think it's in Florence. And um, 
there was a yeah, there's a copy of David outside the museum that the real David was inside of. But I think there was like it was too expensive or there was too long a line. We couldn't go in. Yeah. So we had to satisfy ourselves with the copy of David. It's still a good statue. (laughs) It had to be the original to be impressed. Well, and then you can start having conversations about the value of authenticity, if it can be reproduced, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Then watch the film Big Eyes and have a conversation. Uh, But yeah, I haven't seen the Mona Lisa. There's a lot of great, there's a lot of great works of art that I am, completely adore and really, really love and have never seen in person that I would love to see. That's great. Um, I think it's in New York. One of my favorite paintings, uh, at least one that I you know really loved when I was like a teenager. I think a lot of teenagers go through a phase where they really love The Nightmare by uh, a, a painter named John Henry Fuseli. Yeah, super creepy. Uh, yeah, super creepy. There's a couple of variants, but they're all of uh, a, a woman who is laying in bed, like draped over the side of the bed backwards in complete agony. Uh, there's this demonic horse peeking in over her and sitting on her chest is this little monster and it's like sitting on her chest, sucking her breath out. And the title of the painting is the nightmare. It's what it's like to have a nightmare. Uh, it's just a really badass painting. It's a creepy painting. It's a really creepy, horrific painting. Uh, and I, I really see, love it. I've never seen it in person. Is it Jupiter eating his children? Is that the name of that one? Saturn eating, Saturn eating, Saturn children. eating his children. That's a Goya. Yeah. yeah that, that, I would love to see that one in person. That, yeah. that painting has always fascinated me and how just macabre <laughs> that is. That's yeah. one of the most macabre paintings I've ever seen in my life. Um, so that's cool. Yeah. Mm. So that's some stuff. We, we have some mm. eclectic interests and, uh, I guess I like food more than you. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh I'm not shocked. Yeah. And there's, there's, uh, and yeah, if you're into, uh, if you want an entertainment tour, find some like f- notable, uh, venues, mm. go to the, see a play at the globe or you oh, know, yeah, some, some really wild, uh, music venue. Go to see, go to CBGB and to catch a show. Yeah. I, I think CBGB still does shows. Do I they? Know. Yeah. Actually, actually, I've, I've, I actually don't know. I've never been there. Um, yeah, there, there's all, all these, uh, you know, international film festivals, which I know are expensive and hard to get into. But and oftentimes, are, oftentimes they're, it's, they're, yeah, they're usually not, it's, they're it's not as good really, as you think. Yeah, it's like really the first, kind of the, the first time the novelty driven. is great and you go a couple of times and you realize that they're, mm. I mean, they're cool, but like maybe there are better ways to actually spend your time and explore mm. film, but. Uh, at so, least the big uh, ones. The small ones I think are great. At least so you see them. They're wonderful, but like some of the big ones are too big for their own good. There's a little tiny short list of some yeah. some shit I'd like to do. Yeah, totally. Same here. All yeah. right. Let's, uh, that's a great question. Thank you for asking. Let's move on. Yeah. Uh, here's a letter from Name Redacted. If you don't sign your name at the bottom of the letter, I'm not going to read your name. Yeah. Uh, this So this is from Name Redacted. It says, first of all, I love the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Uh, in the most recent installment, Bibb stated that the disappointing box office of In the Heights doesn't matter. Because in the end, it's the quality of the film that counts. This, of course, is true. Hollywood history is full of classics that many people do not realize are kind of whiffed at the box office from The Wizard of Oz to Office Space. However, I am afraid that Hollywood will use the relative financial failure of In the Heights as an excuse to make even fewer films with Latinx characters, and even if, if that's even possible. Uh, I hope I'm wrong, but in this case, the box office may be quite un, uh, important, unfortunately. Um, that's a fair point. It's a fair point. Yeah. Uh, the problem is, even if you do have a big Hollywood success to feature Latinx characters or black characters or women, um, yeah. Hollywood is still going to find a way to be a racist, sexist piece of shit. I remember I was, um, I was talking to some producers about mm. things and they were talking about, how, and this is like mm. 12 years ago now, um, and they're talking about some of the old bullshit justifications for why there wasn't enough representation in Hollywood. And they were talking about things like, oh, people don't go to see movies with white people aren't in the leads. And Mm -hmm. I started rattling off films like Hitch. 
Yeah. yeah or or Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or all these movies that made a ton of money that didn't star white people. Hmm. And now we have even more examples. Fast and the Furious, there's, there's a whole bunch. Hmm. Um, and we're talking about blockbusters. There's a lot of good examples. Um, and the response that they had, it was so quick. Yeah. Because they were ready for they, this. They, they've they heard were, it before. They yeah. were ready for this. And the response that I heard was, those are the exceptions. Mm. And it occurred to me, A, you're just bending over backwards to justify your racism. And B, I, uh, at some points, there's so many exceptions, you have to acknowledge there's no rule. Yeah. And I will say this. The thing with In the Heights is there's a couple of factors here that I think we don't know about yet. And when it comes to box office and it comes to financial success, and, and that's, that is true. Financial success does help dictate what Hollywood will make more of in the mm. future. However, if they're deeply committed to not being inclusive, they'll find any fucking excuse. Yeah. But regardless, you're right. This is a moment where it, it does matter. However, there are things we don't know yet. Uh, in particular, we don't know what the numbers are on HBO Max. We do. We do? They were released. There was it good? No. They were very bad. On For In the Heights. People were not watching it on HBO Max either. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. The numbers were just low across the board. That's disappointing. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sucks. Um, <laughs> that's very disappointing yeah. and that sucks. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. They, and they, they just released that today, though. Okay. So, well, yes. I didn't know that. Um, fair. Mm. Okay. Well, that throws a, there throws a wrench into that. But anyway. <laughs> uh, but the other thing is, is that sometimes movies, particularly movies that aren't slam dunk uh, intellectual properties they find success over time i'm thinking in particular of the greatest showman mm. a movie which is a musical that was an original musical wasn't even based on a broadway play uh it starred hugh jackman but hugh jackman outside of x-men has not been the biggest box office draw in the world mm. uh and it opened not great and then it just kept being not great until we had to admit that its longevity was pretty great. I think it made it like close to a billion dollars eventually. It made, yeah, it made it a good. huge amount of money. It ended up making a lot of money, and it made a lot of money based largely on word of mouth and consistency. So it's not too late for In the Heights. We're still like only a few days after the opening weekend. Maybe next weekend comes along, and we realize that In the Heights is still holding strong. Hmm. And maybe it's going to have legs, like uh, some other films that people were quick to write off and ended up becoming big industry changing uh things like everything from like my big fat greek wedding to titanic which people forget titanic didn't have the biggest opening weekend ever and people who but, but it had it had the it had, not, it had not the very biggest opening week ever for months exactly like titanic and again that's an exception that's mm -hmm. like that's that is an exception to the rule most movies don't have that kind of longevity but you can't rule it out until we see how it plays mm. So I'm hoping that the word of mouth for something like In the Heights, a movie which is not above criticism, a movie that a lot of people have written some very eloquent things about things that it does wrong, but also a movie that does a lot of things right. I'm hoping that the movie finds an audience, and I'm hoping they find it soon enough that Hollywood will have fewer excuses mm -hmm. not to change the way that they do things. Yeah. Um, that would be the dream. That's the goal. Hollywood isn't going to take any risks. That that's their yeah. that's their goal. That's their log line. That's what they, yeah. they that's what they do. They do. They're not going to take a risk. Occasionally they might. But occasionally they, they accidentally take a yeah. risk. Where like we we did something 
that was we just threw a little money at a small project and surprise the matrix ended up being a big thing yeah, the matrix was not a huge release when it came out no it, like, was, it, was, it wasn't intended to be it was just going to be a, a yeah. late i think it was a late summer film no or? no it was like april oh yeah, yeah it was right, like right, it was like yeah. middle of the year nobody expected much of it it's a genre film from directors who had one critically acclaimed low budget movie and it was like a testing ground. Keanu Reeves wasn't a huge box office draw at the time. A lot of well, the he, cast he, was like, he was Speed. He, Speed. Speed was a few years earlier. But um, but he was that the but that was also kind of an aberration. Like he wasn't yeah. consistently so. Uh, like Chain Reaction didn't do great. I so like right. I like he's not he's not a guarantee. Mm. Uh, so that movie just surprise that kind of like flew under the radar because no one expected much of the movie. The Wachowskis were able to take some big risks. And it paid off, and now the studio looks brilliant. But basically all they did was throw a little money, throw some scraps off to the side, mm. and surprise, that one team did something cool. Yeah, but yeah. their mainstream stuff is very safe. They're, not, mm. they're, they're, they're in the business of making uh, money, not making art. Let's well, be fair here, as a studio. Uh, here's a cynical view of a lot of uh, representation we've been seeing. You, you might have noticed that there have been a lot of films from big studios to feature Asian characters. Hmm. Um, Ryan the Last Dragon is an example. Crazy sure. Rich Asians is another example. Um, we're taking a lot of uh, Asian characters and Asian iconography, and they're just sort of a natural part of a lot of bigger blockbusters now. Yeah. You'll also notice that China opened up as a film market recently. So the cynical part of my brain is just yeah. being a complete asshole about this it's and saying, "Oh, market. wait a minute, this is actually a sure thing for the studios. They want they're to not going to the widest, They want to build the widest audience yeah. possible. So right now, the widest audience possible is including China. So they're not going to diversify or be at all interested in on-screen representation unless they know it's a slam dunk. Yeah. And uh, as such, uh, the financial success of one or even several projects isn't going to speak very loudly to them. Uh, What I would like for uh, In the Heights is to be successful just because I think it's a good movie. Yeah. And I would like a lot of people to see it. And if a lot of people see it, presumably it's going to be making a lot of money. Uh, It's a lot to ask of a movie uh, for everything to be writing on one mm, film. Yeah, and and also... Sometimes it is, but it's a lot to ask. And I, I... while I, I do think a broad representation of all walks and all attitudes is vitally important to a healthy artistic landscape, I also think that pinning any kind of actual cultural movement on the financial success of a few blockbusters is a little bit of a churlish exercise. Mm. Uh, we just need to see a lot of different kinds of movies yeah. and not make sure that a very small number of films we see have the kind of representation that we want. It's tricky, though, because unfortunately, we're looking at mostly films that are being made by the Hollywood mainstream. And to be fair, Warner Brothers pushed this movie. Like, there was a lot of advertising for it. Well, after Hamilton, though, it seemed like a sure thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. No, no, I'm getting it. I'm just saying. Like, but Hamilton was a cultural sensation. In the Heights was a well-regarded musical. Yeah. Hamilton was everywhere. In the Heights was well-respected. And yeah. I think that's just a little... That's a difference in terms of pre-existing popularity um you, you only don't there's much you can do about that but um yeah where's it going with this yeah i had a point and i got derailed there for a second i was talking about um, it's it's it's, it, it's a lot to ask of one movie and you got to realize that like you know we it, it, because hollywood only makes so many movies that are outside the traditional rather dull and narrow-minded paradigm mm-hmm. A lot is writing on a film like In the Heights yeah. to 
break out. However, it is also a movie. You know, movies mm-hmm. don't always do good. Sometimes good movies don't make money. Uh, good movies don't make money all the time. I know. Like, that's my point. It more, happens. More, more bad movies make a lot of money than good movies. Or way more good movies don't make money than bad movies that do make good and, money. And as much as I think it's absolutely like relevant to discuss the box office success or failure of a film like In the Heights. And again, I still think it's a little too early to tell, but it's not looking good. No one's mm-hmm. pretending it's looking good. But uh, it, as... as Tempting and sometimes as interesting as it can be in this particular instance to look at the box office success of, of a film like In the Heights. Um, in the end, it, it is a movie, and sometimes the movies that have the best intentions, even the movies that succeeded those intentions, just don't land mm-hmm. for a million reasons. Uh, and I think yeah. the important thing is, if you like the movie, if you think it's a good movie, if you want more people to see it, keep talking about it. Yeah, keep talking about it. Don't let it like stop out of the conversation. Keep referencing it. Put in memes, whatever. If it stays relevant culturally, it wins. Yeah. And that's how a lot of movies end up becoming these like pop culture cornerstones. Not because they made a big a lot of money on the opening weekend, but because nobody forgot them. And I think that's yeah, yeah. gonna really matter over time. Take a message from us critics. If you're annoying enough. People will eventually listen to you. Well, it's, it's like there's all those like, and we're getting off a little bit of a tangent here, but like it's, no, it's this, all, this is all relevant. Well, it is, but I'm I'm I'm, I'm skewing a little different here. But right. um, a lot of like there's hot takes like this movie that was critically derided or has a bad reputation is good actually. Mm-hmm. It's a popular breed of hot take at the moment, and I'm fine with it. I don't it's, always agree. It's clickbait, but yeah, but I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. And but the thing I think is interesting is that a lot of these uh, stories are not necessarily an accurate portrayal of the overall attitude of the film. Uh, but what happens is when a movie initially comes out, the people who like it and don't like it are sharing the floor equally because they all want to talk about it. Mm. A couple years later, only the people who like it are probably still interested in talking about it. And as a result, even the people who don't like it are willing to go, I have other stuff to think about right now. I'm not mm. super concerned. There may be an exception here or there with a movie that legitimately pisses me off. But the majority of the time, look, if you really like... I'm trying to think of just some generic movie. Like, if you really want to try to relitigate <sighs> Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed. It's funny you should bring that one up. Yeah, I know. Somebody's trying to rescue yeah. it. Somebody's fine, trying to fine. rescue the Scooby-Doo I'm not, film. I'm not going to fight... You know what? I'm not going to fight it. I, it's not uh, worth it. Uh, it's, it's not... I don't think... I, I think just there's... I, I saw Space Jam get canonized yeah, and that, yeah, that stung like, my soul. And the first Scooby-Doo movie, there's a couple of things I like about it. There's a lot of things that don't work about it. But I'm not passionate enough about it. Like, Space Jam, I consider it to be like this weird corporate hypocritical monster that I think we absolutely should talk about like mm. how bitter and ugly it is but like um, Scooby-Doo it, yeah it's a corporate sellout kind of thing but Matthew Lillard is good like there are things that I like about that movie I'm not going to fight you too hard if you say I still like Scooby-Doo dang it I'll be like good for you I don't have enough passion to keep talking about it so my point is this I'm going to bring it back around to In the Heights and after a while only the people who really, really care about it are going to be the ones who want to talk about it. And then they get to have an outsized amount of control over a film's reputation. Yeah. So if you care about In the Heights and you want it to make a difference and you, it looks like the box office isn't going to help that argument, mm-hmm. keep talking about it. 
Don't stop talking about it. Keep making it part of the conversation. Tell people you love it. And if it has that long an impact, if it has enduring impact, Hollywood will notice because a lot of the times they'll make a movie and they'll spend $100 million on it. And a year later, everyone has forgotten it exists. Yeah. yeah. So if it endures, then it's still useful to them. It matters. It might be worth making more of those. Um. And, and, of course, a lot of people like to look at the, the creators, the people who made it, the actors, the, the, the not the studio, but, like, the actual talent. Yeah. And um, if it is a big hit right away, those people get rich. Yeah. And I've, I've heard a lot of uh, stars of, like, cult movies. It's like, uh, everybody knows who I am now. I've, I filled, a, a, you know, a midnight screening, or I filled this, you know, convention hall with people who are cultists behind this one, like, bizarre cult mm-hmm. movie. Where were you 20 years ago when the film came out? I yeah. could have used that then. I would have been rich and my life would have been easier. Yeah, uh, I've heard true. I've heard actors say this sort of thing. So uh, it's it's a bummer for them more than anybody. Yeah. It's not a bummer for us. We're just people who like this movie. Yeah. And we got a good movie and we can now extol its virtues. And, that, and that's kind of what I'm talking about. Basically, if you like something, if you like it now, say so now. Yeah, say so now. Say so now. Now is the best time. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and again, hopefully good movies do well at the box office and we'll get more like them. Yeah. We have very little control over that, and sometimes just life doesn't... It, it sucks. Yeah. It really, really sucks, especially when it does seem like there's more writing on a film like In the Heights. That that does yeah, I, suck. No, no denying it. One, one last point. I, I had a conversation once with a co-worker about the movie Mother, the Darren Aronofsky film. Oh, yeah. Gigantic failure. Yeah. Uh, that that's the sort of film that I think is a risk because it's a really difficult sell. It's actually yeah, a really it's, it's, it's bizarre, off putting movie, yeah. and it's it turns out this it's this big Bible allegory, but it's told in this abstract sort of way, and it's but it's like a horror movie, and there's all these horrific images in it. Um, I love it. I love Mother. It just because it's so off putting, uh, and because it actually has some really important things to say. And yeah, it was a big failure. I was explaining that to a coworker of mine. This is a big failure, but uh, I'm glad that the studio that put it out actually said that they had faith in it. Uh, they understood that it was a failure, but they would do it again because they wanted to make that kind of a movie. They didn't mm-hmm. apologize for it. They didn't say, oh, it was a misstep. Or they never called it a misfire. They said, this yeah. was something we did. Uh, we weren't sure if people were going to react to it, but we were going to put it out anyway. Yeah. People didn't. We're fine with that. Darren Aronofsky mm. is a proven enough director that it's worth spending a little money to give him a little free reign. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, it's an auteur element. Yeah. Is, is, it does affect studios. But uh, my coworker pointed out if the if Mother had been a hit, if it was mm. this runaway hit, it's Hollywood would have taken maybe the wrong lessons. They wouldn't have uh. taken the, the idea... We should like put a lot of money into these weird art projects by these auteur directors. Mm-hmm. They would have said, "Oh, we need to have more baby eating in the movies." <laughs> we would have well, okay. a little spoiler for, for the movie Mother. Yeah, we we need to have more of like singular violent scenes from that movie. Yeah, we, we need, need more more up. films with Jennifer Lawrence in a house. Can we have more films yeah. with Jennifer Lawrence in a house. That's that's yeah. the kind of lessons Hollywood. They want the easy. They want the easy lessons. Yeah. Like, there's a mm-hmm. decent chance that if In the Heights was successful. Hollywood find some bullshit way to be like, okay, people like movies about heat waves. We're going to do movies about heat waves now. I'm like, no. no. This this has a blackout in it, and it will remind people of that hit in the Heights. So, it's like, no, that's yeah. not really what in the Heights. No, you know, no, um, no, they're, they're, yeah, so, yeah. So yeah, it's it's a complicated machine, and yeah. uh, it's it's easy to be cynical about it. I apologize for dumping my cynicism yeah, on your face. They keep they keep giving you reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, next on. letter. Well, uh, thank you for the letter. That's, that's yeah. a good point. Thank, thank you for that. that. Here's a letter from Brian. Hi, Brian. Hi, Brian. Um, Brian says not much to say actually. Oh, okay. Next letter. No. Um. <laughs> uh, this is a letter about Lancelot Link. 
Uh-oh. The title's Lancelot Link from one who was there. <laughs> For those who might need it, we, we recently did on an episode of Cancel Too Soon, our podcast where we review TV shows less than one season or less, a film from the early 1970s, which was a spoof of the spy spoof Get Smart uh, about chimpanzees who were also spies, and they started entirely chimpanzees, and they were overdubbed with actors. A, a cast of trained chimpanzees yeah. dubbed by actors. Weird um, thing. Uh, this show premiered when I was nine. I have a faint memory of talking about it at school, and I think we thought it looked like it was going to be fun. When I watched it, though, I just thought it was stupid. The writing was really lame. There were few, few att- fewer attempts at humor than one might think, which is probably because because what humor was there was really bad. Everything was awkward. Dialogue blocking editing because it all had to try and be shaped to fit what the mouth movements and body movements of the chimpanzees were and then be forced to fit in whatever the story was. It was all very unnatural. But you'll see in various places online that the show is fondly remembered and, quote, way better than the crap that's on TV now. Who said that? As bad as the show was, they did a pretty good job on the music. I'll, I'll, I can yeah, see the, the music. The music's fine. Um, I'm not going to find the music. I think the creators just thought the idea of chimps in clothes pantomiming human behavior was inherently funny. Hal Roach thought the same thing, and that's why I try the Our Gang-style shorts with animals called Dippy Doodads. And there's a reason why you've never heard of Dippy Doodads. Well, now I'm going to look it up. Signed, Brian. P.S. Being movie guys, you may have never, you may have heard of the Dippy Doodads. I, I don't know that one. Do you know that one? I don't know Dippy Doodads. Love to look that up. Thank you for, for raising I've our awareness. I've seen uh, other animal films, though. Sure. Um, there's a, a short, I think it was nominated for an Oscar called Bill and Coo. Oh, yeah. Which was yeah. a little romantic short starring little lovebirds. So yeah. small parrots. Um, and they, you know, they like ride bicycles and kiss and stuff. Sure. Uh, a friend of mine unearthed this really unsettling uh, 1930s like melodrama, like this backstage melodrama, which had all of these like betrayal and backstabbings and scenes of assault, and the cast was all dogs on their hind legs, mm, like little weird. like small boxer style terrier. Dogs. I've, I've seen a few shorts from that era, and these are usually shorts, like five ten minutes long. That would be things like we're gonna remake this popular. Hollywood movie like Trader Horn or something, but we're going to do it all with dogs. Yeah. And uh, so it's not like the, it's not completely, you know, out of the question. Like people have done it. Yeah. Never thought it was very funny. And I think what I like about this, because we asked some people to ask us, like, to write in and say, like, were you around with, because Lancelot Link is before our time. We were born several years after the fact. Um, I wanted to, people to write in and let us know what it was like to see it at the time. Because there's this, inherent temptation I feel when you're looking at movies or TV or any sort of thing that came out like before your time to just assume that like oh people like that at the time I guess that was just popular at the time uh, no <laughs> people responded to things negatively all the time and like a lot of people are like well why wasn't like their critical backlash to these movies that came out there was. <laughs> we had less media at the time, so maybe it didn't make the big impact that it would now with things trending on Twitter immediately, but there was. And if you do the research and you're actually willing to look at some things on microfiche, you will find editorials, reviews, photographs of protests, of all kinds of films and TV shows that so many people would just be eager to shrug off and just say, eh, it was normal at the time. No. So when some, it heartens me to know and to confirm that when Lancelot Link came out, there were kids hmm. who had few entertainment choices at the time. Cable wasn't a thing. 
They didn't have home video. Well, relatively few, but well, um, rel- but relatively few. Like I'm so, not saying, so I'm not saying there was, there was, that was you. You watched Lancelot Linker, you fucked off. But like, there you was, had... you know, te- television at the time was seen as being uh, far too ubiquitous, even, yeah. even in the 70s. Right. There were too many stations. There was too many options. You could just stay in front of the TV all day. And you could, and that's, but and that's where phrases like couch potatoes started to enter yeah. the lexicon. But my point is, he didn't have hundreds of options, yeah. and he didn't have streaming services. You can watch whatever you wanted at the push of a button. Yeah. If you it's wanted, just... you saw whatever was on TV at the moment based on the channels you had available and that didn't mean you liked it <laughs> so it heartens me to know that even at the time people were looking at Lancelot Lincoln going no 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 it's not good there are moments of hope <laughs> like when we as a nation got together and said no to Yahoo Sirius I don't even dislike Yahoo I don't Sirius. dislike Yahoo Sirius I always thought that was a weird choice to like you know pick on Yahoo Sirius MSD3K like Yahoo Sirius at least had a vision. <laughs> Yahoo Sirius, you look at a Yahoo Sirius movie and you go, that's a Yahoo Sirius movie. Mm. That Yahoo Sirius had like a style. I still maintain that Young Einstein is fun. Anyway. I, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. I remember it being a little annoying even then. Uh, so I'll I was, have to... I, uh, I thought it was fun. I'll, I'll have to revisit Young Einstein. One of these days we need At to. some point. Anyway, but thank you for writing it. Let's uh, move on to the next letter. Okay. Uh, here's a letter from Anna. Hello, Anna. Hi. Uh, hey, Bims and Whitney, uh, I was diagnosed with autistic spectrum disorder at the age of 29, and I want to say one thing about, quote, movies that portray autism correctly. Uh, there is no such thing. Uh, uh, we've, we, this is something we've been revisiting a couple letters yeah. episodes. Some we, people uh, asked us for, like, what are some films that, uh, portray people who are on the spectrum fairly, because too many movies in Hollywood, uh, uh rely on, on, on inaccurate cliche to yeah like either, either negative or yeah. like weirdly positive in like a super heroic way yeah. and we asked people to write in uh with some examples based on their personal experience yeah. that they thought captured I mean, well but i think we're on to something here yeah, I, so, I, I so and, yeah, anna says there yeah. is no such thing as a film that uh, portrays autism correctly just as there are no quote movies that represent uh lgbtq plus well every autistic person is different and it is a spectrum i had a colleague who is also on the spectrum, and we have totally different, quote, quirks. Uh, for example, it's easier for me to communicate in writing, while for him it's a nightmare, and doing, and it's so much easier if I just walked over and talked, and I hate doing it. Uh, he always says, if you know one autistic person, you know one autistic person. That's a great way to put it. So here's my radical suggestion. Instead of trying to find the perfect portrayal in media, how about focus on how terrible famous people are using their autism as an excuse for being a jerk? For for the latest example, Elon Musk. It frustrates me to no end that I even made a website about it called (laughs) jerksnotautistic.com. Thanks for everything you're doing. Yours, Anna. Anna, thank you so much for that. And again, you know, that's really important to focus on. It's, and I and I want to make it clear that we weren't looking for like the one end all be all portrayal because mm-hmm. yeah that doesn't exist. But we were looking at was fair portrayals. Yeah, because and that's, we, we know that there's a lot of unfair portrayals. Yeah, so we needed something to like contrast those reasonable, to. nuanced. You know that didn't feel like it was being uh, made by people who had no fucking idea what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. So that's that was what was important to us. But I'm really really glad that that email gave us a sense of perspective here because I think it's really important. Mm. Um, and we shouldn't be looking for films to represent everything in its entirety because also there's this temptation where like we feel like and okay so we made a movie about that subject and we're done now mm. no human experience is vast yeah even within one lifetime even within one person so 
we need as many of them as possible. And that's why diversity is so important. Mm-hmm. But it's also why it's important to be respectful of diversity and try to treat it fairly. Yeah. Right. So thank you for that. That's really, really useful. Thank you for that. Yeah. And, and, and it's still a struggle to get not any portrayal at all in some cases. Yeah. Um, like uh, like my favorite film with a bisexual male lead is some, um, uh, well, uh, let's see here. <laughs> oh, yeah, they don't exist. <laughs> Or, or they, they code the characters as kind of bisexual, but they never use the word, so it mm-hmm. doesn't really count. A lot of people yeah. are going to, um, uh, there's a the new series featuring the character of Loki, and Loki is, oh, yeah. Loki is a shapeshifter, um, typically played by cis male actor, but kind of like genderless, generally speaking, because shapeshifting can be any yeah, gender. Yeah, it can be any way want to. Um, and a lot of people are saying, oh, that's great, um, like, for people who are agender or non-binary, that's good on-screen representation, gender fluid, um, use the words or it doesn't count. You know, if if you're not using the, if you don't say he is a gender fluid character or or, or they are a gender fluid character, if they like starts correcting people on pronouns, if they're not using that language or stating it explicitly, then, then it's just another code, isn't it? And, well, and I'm and I'm tired of codes. Well, I'm tired think, of codes. And again, and, uh, it, there there are different levels of here. Yeah. And in fact, there's actually but that, this, uh, is, in, this is my own personal rant. In, I apologize. In, no, no, but it's fair. Yeah. And I think uh, uh, there's actually a bit in Loki where you see Loki's like file at the time mm-hmm. variance authority, and it does list his sex as fluid. Okay. But that's a frame. It's, it's a frame. Yeah, in, you can yeah. totally blink and miss that. Mm. And like, I've you see yeah, people yeah, like, how am I supposed to explain that to their kids? I'm like, I don't know. They probably didn't see it. They probably didn't see it too quickly. They're not calling attention to it and yeah. actually making it like like actual, relevant, like an actual so like really, a, yeah, relevant part of the character. I hope I mean, it's one episode in. I hope maybe other episodes will actually deal with that. But like, mm. yeah, I doubt that they will. Disney Disney is not super excited. You know, we're having the whole Batman conversation right now. A lot of studios aren't interested in sexualizing their heroes or villains. A hero wouldn't do that. Well, the Adam West Batman wouldn't do that. I I think a hero would, actually. (laughs) Heroes definitely. Heroes do. Yeah. Whether or not Batman does is another issue. Uh, But their their overall point, if you read that whole article, which, again, they said something stupid, but their overall point was we don't want to sexualize Batman. Mm. And uh, you put nipples on Batman. You had close-ups of his butt. Yeah. <laughs> you had put Joel Schumacher in charge of Batman. His, <laughs> his Batman movies are very sexual. Hell, Tim Burton's second Batman movie is very yeah, sexual. It, there's, a, there's a character in that that wears a v- skin-tight vinyl outfit. She That's... licks his nose. Come on. Like, it's oh, weird. This is, I, I, know a, I know a couple of sex workers, and uh, they said that after Batman Returns came out, there was this, like, boom in uh like vinyl cl- clients who wanted like a vinyl outfit just like that if not that specific outfit yeah 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 it's, it's like a common thing in, in the kink world for a while superheroes are fetishistically portrayed mm. whether or not it's being consciously done yeah mm. <laughs> like let's actually deal with that huh but i digress um anyway we got off we got off topic a little bit but anyway that's a really good point thank you yeah um more letters? Yeah, we have time for one or two more. Um, here is a letter from Ken. Hi, Ken. Hi, um, Ken. Uh, dear B, B to the I to the double BS, <laughs> and Rockmeister McCool. Nice. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like it. Um, I don't know what came over me when listening to a recent letters episode of, uh, talking about concert movies, but I was reminded of a great out-of-the-box music choices in films that I never thought would happen. Being mm. a kid of the 1990s. 
and whose parents gravitated to more to the rock of the 60s and 70s, with the occasional 80s song thrown in, I was inundated with more out-there popular music of those eras at the time. And there, there was a lot of 70s nostalgia in, yeah. in the 90s. Um, uh, that comes to comes to my love of out-of-the-box picks for pop songs and movies. I remember sitting in the theater to see Bumblebee a few years ago. Uh, that's a the Transformers movie. Yeah, but it's a good one, to be fair. Um, yeah, I didn't see that one. Yeah. Uh, and absolutely ecstatic when Steve Winwood's Higher Love started playing. Higher love, yeah. Um, it's a song that was a huge favorite of my uh, my mother's, and one that she would play full blast on the car radio at the time. Suffice it to say, I I love it too, and I was very excited that the song that not only people had talk about from the 1980s was thrown into a big movie like that. Which brings me to my question: I propose to you. Mm. I don't care much about. Um, I don't care. <laughs> I care about how much you think you might have poor taste in music, bibs. Um, what would be your go-to out of the box? choice of pop music you've always wanted or an easier version to see put in a big movie. I still personally would love to see Van Morrison's song Moon Dance appear in something. As always, keep doing what you guys do. I'll keep listening and kind. Uh, Ken Lutz. And there's a quote at the end. Pain is an illusion. An illusion that really, really hurts. <laughs> From nice. the Mighty Ducks animated series. <laughs> nice. Uh, I would like to mm. see an entire action sequence. Preferably a shootout. But I'm I'm I'll, I'm flexible. But it's got to be like a real, like John Wick, totally badass mm. action sequence, set to one of Weird Al's earlier polkas. Okay. Yeah, because we're using like usually like pop music anyway. Mm. Why don't we use a comment on that pop music? Why don't we look at a pastiche? Why don't we look at basically Weird Al Yankovic yeah, right. saying all this music is basically the same? <laughs> and why don't we actually like? Because I would how, love to see that. Like, you I feel like, like what, you could do that with Deadpool, for example. That'd be yeah. great with Deadpool. Yeah, a, a, pol- a shootout to a polka would be pretty awesome. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I wrote a treatment once. <laughs> this again. This again. Well, I, I wrote a treatment for a movie called Motormouth, which is a, a really obscure Marvel character. Uh, I don't even know you can find this character online. Surely you can. Oh, you can. Um, yeah, they they Marvel had an, a separate company that operated out of England called, and they called themselves Marvel UK, and they had the rights to use all of the Marvel characters and also invent some of their own, but they were only on the UK label, like they didn't sort of crossbreed across the the ocean. Uh, so th- yeah, they had this old like, like little tiny miniature cannon in the 1990s, and I, I decided just as a, a personal creative exercise, could I write stories with some of these characters? And I made soundtracks for the characters. And if you're a subscriber, I might have mailed the soundtracks to you. It was yeah, a, it was a, a, while a, ago, a perk yeah. a couple of years ago for yeah. for being a twenty dollars subscriber. Uh, and in my mind, I came up with a, a bunch of other characters. It's another character from this canon called Hell's Angel, and she's her skin is wrapped in like a, a, a strip of the void, like the thing that existed before the universe was, and it kind of turned her body into this weapon. She wore this really cool-looking armor, and I made this new wave soundtrack uh, for her. And the climax was going to be a fight scene between this human-sized character and a 100-foot like dragon monster set to the art of noises uh, close to the edit. It was going to be choreographed. Like I, I was listening to the song and like picturing the fight scene as it was. Nice. I'm typically pretty annoyed when a really good needle drop occurs in a film, and then they lift the needle up after just a few seconds. Yeah, you want it's to like, actually like no, I want I want the bit. whole song. I want the I want the, essentially to turn into a music video. Yeah, and I feel like 
uh, when Edgar Wright made his film Baby Driver, he was getting at something really interesting, but I feel like that's not a very graceful movie. No, Some it's, of the a bit, action, it's a bit of a clunky you know, yeah, like, like storytelling. He was choreographing the action very well, and, yeah, and I cool. like that it's music-based, but I think he didn't do it very well. Yeah. I'd love to see that concept done better. Yeah. And uh, so I would love to see just a really high-energy uh, pop music a number with a fight scene that is set to the rhythm of that song. Every time I see it done, it's done badly. I want to see it done well for once. Um, yeah. Another one that comes to mind is, uh, we talked about it recently, was the, the church scene in Kingsman, oh, which God. is set to Freebird. And they play a lot of it. It's a long scene. I think they play most of that. They play, all they of play, it. Like, well, they ridiculous. play most of the, uh, the, like, the solo, like yeah. the, the big, fast-moving part. Yeah. And... You know, in a vacuum, that's kind of a badass idea. But again, it's it's such a re- despicable movie that it's hard for me to enjoy that sequence. Uh, do just do that more. Yeah. Put more put more needle needle drops and commit to them. Don't just have like a little iTunes thirty second sample. I want to hear more. I want to, I want you to have the music and the action sort of inform one another rather than just sort of sucking off of the soundtrack for a little bit of a mood. Yeah, um, doesn't happen often enough. You have stronger opinions about it than I do. I'm I'm aware of what kind of pop music it is. Well, you know, you're more, you're, you're more a, of a music fan than I am. I think I, in some ways. And I, I just think I, as a I result, suppose, you have more ready-made yeah. thoughts on this on this yeah. topic. I think than I do. Um, yeah, I think you know a good soundtrack record is an amazing thing. And I think if and and the pop songs that are selected in a in a in a, uh, a film are significant, and yes. the the history of the song can actually play into what's going on on screen. If you know a lot about the the artist who's singing or the history of the song, mm-hmm. it's going to inform uh, the film that much more deeply. It certainly can. Yeah. Sometimes they think about this a lot. There's a, a really um, incredibly violent movie called The Killer Inside Me with Casey Affleck, and it's mm-hmm. about a real life serial killer. You look down the soundtrack, and it's all these sort of like old country standards, and they sound sort of like generic old country standards. If you look up each one of those artists, each one of them went to prison for killing their spouses. Wow. Uh, so, you know, if, if you know anything about the history of music, that's going to inform that film in a really dark sort of way. Yeah. And, and it is an incredibly dark movie. A lot of people really hate it because it's incredibly violent, especially towards women. Uh, so I can't recommend it, but it has this interesting idea. Mm. Uh, meanwhile, I remember there was a film... Oh, it was that Luke Wilson film about the guy who uh, developed, like, porn on the internet. Oh, uh, what was it? Uh, it was like, was it Made Men? What was it? So, something like that. Uh, 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 Money Men? Hold on. Pretty forgettable it. film with a pretty forgettable title. Yeah. But, but I, it, was, it was about the people who figured out how to monetize the internet and basically mm. how that almost immediately led like, to the proliferation re- of porn. Yeah, like yeah. completely, like overnight revolutionized the pornography industry. Um, there's a shot in that Middlemen. Middlemen, there you go. Generic uh, title. Yeah, there's a, a shot where um, we're... Uh, establishing Hollywood and we see this big spanning shot of the Hollywood sign and uh, in order to establish the era they start playing Biggie's Hypnotize Mm. to establish the West Coast oh my god (laughs) (laughs) Tupac establishes the West Coast Uh, Biggie establishes uh, the East Coast uh, uh, you did it wrong (laughs) you did it wrong yeah I forgot all about it that is hilarious so you're using an East Coast rapper to represent the the establishing shot of Hollywood it's like no that's totally tone deaf that's amazing. Like, I, I love the song Hypnotized, don't get me wrong, and it's great when it shows up in it, and they've used it in a lot of movies, yeah. but uh, no. Uh, that, that, oh, that was a bad idea. Here's a song that I always, like, I've seen a couple people try to use it, and then they, like, run out of patience, and they cut to the part where the movie song really kicks in, mm-hmm. like, too early. Uh, but uh, one of my favorite, like, 
slow burn to like lead to like a huge epic jam songs mm-hmm. is a Roxy music uh, Roxy music's never dream of heartache okay you know that song I, I, yeah I think so. yeah um that's an amazing song and you're listening to it and it's like really almost funereal and then when it kicks in it's awesome and like you know that like you can hear that and be like this is the build-up to an amazing action sequence or chase scene or murder or something and I've seen it used and I've just I've never seen it used right I feel like mm. that would be one where I would like to try to use it in a way that actually like choreographs around the song rather than chopping the song to pieces in order to get what I want out of it but yeah. anyway um, let's see if we have time for one more okay um, yeah. here's a letter from uh, Name Rejected okay oh, excuse me it's from Alfonso Oh, hi, Alfonso. Hello, Alfonso. Um, Dear Bibs and Rock, my stare Mac, exclamation point, cool, ellipsis. <laughs> weird punctuation in that one. Okay, yeah. um, okay, I love you guys. Oh, thank you. Uh, I've been following your every show since the B-Movies podcast. Oh, wow. And uh, I often don't agree with you. Fair. We don't expect you to. I don't um, agree with me all the time. <laughs> which is fine. It's the way it should be. But, and you know, there's a big but coming. I just about sprayed coffee all over my desk at the part of the last episode of All Our Yesterdays covering the Pirates of Orion. That's a Star Trek animated series episode. We're talking about our uh, Patreon podcast uh, where we're reviewing every single episode of Star Trek in order. And uh, we're recently, uh, we've been doing the Star Trek animated series and the Pirates of Orion. It's spelled Orion, but it's pronounced Orion in the show, Mm -hmm. I believe was the second season premiere of the animated show. Um, and this is a few corrections. We got a few details. Oh, fair enough. Um, Let's do it briefly. Number one, the explosive the, of oh, the plot of the episode is it's a, a, doom, a handheld doomsday weapon, um, and the, and the, Spock, the Spock, Spock, Spock has a deadly disease. Uh, in order to get the only cure for that disease, Kirk ends up having to deal with hmm. uh, pirates who have hijacked a shipment of the medicine. From a Federation mm. ship, and he has to make some difficult choices. Mm. And the pirates of Orion have uh, a vested interest in basically, if basically keeping the secret of their piracy mm. by any Good means point. necessary, including explosive. Yeah, and then one of them has this little like has a doomsday device that's going to blow up both ships if mm-hmm. if Kirk hoodwinks him. Um, the explosive uh, was not powerful enough to destroy the two ships. It was a trigger designed to set off a chain reaction that would cause the asteroid, quote, made of a highly explosive mineral, to explode and take out both ships. Uh, this is similar to how a few pounds of shaped high explosive can set off an atomic bomb. Okay. Uh, granted, the whole premise is fantastical, but it does follow a logic that's not inconsistent with most Star Trek pseudoscience. Uh, fine. That, that is a more detailed explanation, and we kind of yeah. shaved it down. Uh, okay, not, fair enough. Uh, point two, the pirates do have a code of honor, however wrongheaded. They were willing to sacrifice their lives to protect their planet. First with the exploding asteroid ploy, and then if that failed, the captured Orion captain attempted suicide by poison pill, mm. and his crew initiated their self-destruct. Uh, number three, this yeah. leads to the ending that was classic Trek and classic Kirk. Having prevented the Orion captain's suicide, Kirk uses logic, explaining that the ship's self-destruction will serve no purpose, and the captain will still stand trial as Orion's, quote, little game of neutrality and piracy will be over anyway. The Orion captain recognizes the futility and, not wanting additional blood on his hands, tells his crew to stand down. And number four, what set me off set set me off this email to you, however, was this: Khan is evil. 
He is a Jano supremacist who believes in the right of his superior race to rule inferior races, a psychopath of the highest order. Yeah. The Orions, on the other hand, are just trying to make a living and take care of their own people. They're criminals, but they're not evil. I believe that Khan would have no qualms about murdering the crew of the Huron to protect his supermen if he had been in the Orion's place. I think we compared the Orions to Khan. I mean, we must have. I don't I don't vividly yeah. recall that, yeah, yeah. but yeah, fair enough. Uh, okay, so I almost never write you, and it's weird that this episode should trigger me. I don't know why exactly. Maybe it was that the Khan comments got under my skin, having grown up under dictators that presented as honorable military or civilian leaders, but were almost invariably just sociopaths who had successfully pulled the wool over the public's eyes. Whatever the reason, as long as I did write in, let me make a, take a moment to say I really appreciate you both. And your many, many, many podcasts have gotten me through some pretty <laughs> tough days running a healthcare organization through the COVID crisis. Wow. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that's... For... Wow. Well done. Well done. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and seriously, you, you, you just take yeah. us to task for more Star Trek. You've earned that. Like, yeah. by all means. Yeah. That and more. <laughs> Uh, worrying about the ethics of space pirates and genetic supermen is a necessary antidote to the very real crises that threaten to overwhelm us at times. Yeah. And you two are my half gram of strobel in. Uh, thank you, Alfonso from Cochabamba. Uh, uh, wow. P.S. Michelle and Bibb's soaps are really awesome. I've enjoyed several. I look oh, forward to more. Thank you. Uh, also, Whitney, are you working on any new radio dramas? Please do. Oh, well, thank you. Growing hey. up in Cochabamba, we had no TV and would gather around the radio at night to listen to either the news or the latest coup d'etat, or preferably radio dramas like El Santo, El Santo contra los Hombres Lobos, Santo versus the Wolfmen, or, or Caliman el Hombre Increíble. Look him up. Um, PPS, don't forget about pharmacists. They don't just dispense medication. They are doctors from an integral component of the uh, medical continuum of care, preventing potentially deadly interactions and consulting with other caregivers to ensure that the pre prescribed medication is appropriate to the patient's condition. Uh, I, I will we, not impugn pharmacists. No, no, we were talking about how the, many episodes of Star Trek, the original series and the animated series, ultimately prove that Bones, the... Famous doctor aboard the Enterprise, played originally by DeForest Kelly and then more recently by Carl Urban, is actually a terrible doctor. And there's actually a line where he basically just says, what good is a doctor? All we do is give people medicine. And I think we must have compared it to a pharmacist. So I guess we did oh, so in a, in a, in a, in a poor a, way. A flip sort of way. I guess, yeah. we, I guess we did it in a poor way. So fair enough. Take us to yeah. the test, please. That's totally fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I do not impugn pharmacists. No. I, have, I have no no foul view of pharmacists, even mm. if it have made a, a, a flip joke or two at their expense, mm. but um, not as many as I've made at my own expense. Uh, to answer your question, yes, I'm writing another radio drama. Yay! Um, I've I've written three and made three just uh, in recent years uh, that I've given to, to uh, subscribers at the twenty dollar level. They're they're part of the uh, twenty dollar tier, mm -hmm. um, and I wrote another one for uh, Tales from Beyond the Broadcast. Uh, or it's just called From Beyond the Broadcast, mm. uh, which was a, a science fiction anthology series of a couple episodes that I I wrote one of the episodes and I acted in all of them. I, I'm sort of like the Crypt Keeper character for that show um, where I play this uh, filthy hobo who has a, a rundown car with a radio that can get radio shows from another dimension. So uh, that's the premise of the show and we, it's sort of like an anthology audio show. And I wrote, I wrote a piece for that. Um but yeah, now that my uh, my son's school is over and I'm no longer a kindergarten teacher all day long, I'm going to have a little bit more time to write, and I have plenty of ideas. Um, I have I have one I'm writing right now. Um, it's going to be a, a spoof of like a, this bizarre theater spoof. I have bad ideas, uh, and. Uh, <laughs> 
Don't say you're so sharp. And, and I've, 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 I've pl- plenty of, of radio play ideas that I yeah. would love to commit to paper and commit to microphone and actually put out. Um, I would have made more were it not for the pandemic. Yeah, and you if got my, if, my, yeah. if my son were not home all day, I would actually have some time to write. And yeah. yeah, everything was derailed for about a year and a half. So as, as now that things are opening up again, as of uh, this recording, California opened up a lot of its businesses again. Our... Uh, our wonderful Gavin Newsom, without a hint of irony, stood next to a bunch of minions and said, "We're open again." Minions. Do you know what the canonically, <laughs> canonically are attracted to and only serve the most masters. evil person they can find? <laughs> yeah, that was a mistake. It was. It was a oh, golly. Uh, you know what? California is slowly turning into Florida, and I'm kind of here for it. Yeah. Um, that was a bizarre moment, wasn't yeah, it? it? Was weird. We did this no, big, it was really weird. Even if you see the picture, it's really yeah. This weird. this really bizarre photograph of Gavin Newsom standing in front of Universal Studios with a bunch of minions saying, "We're open again." Oh, God, <laughs> come inside to our Universal Studios. Freeze ray. Yeah, he didn't say freeze ray. But I'm funny if he did. Anyway, mm. thank you everybody for writing in. That was a wonderful letter. All of our emails were great this this time. They're always great. You guys are um, great. You're amazing. Thank you so much for contributing your thoughts and for writing in with. You know, your serious contributions and and honestly, your lighthearted stuff is really wonderful too. And we're just incredibly grateful to you. And if you want to write in for a future episode, if you haven't already, uh, or if you have before and you just want to do it again, our email address is letters at critically acclaimed.net. We don't have time to read all of our emails, but we do try to read as many as we can. And so we're incredibly mm-hmm. grateful to you. And if we haven't gotten to yours yet, maybe another time. Um, we're also on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, where we have all our yesterdays, our Star Trek show. We're reviewing every single episode of Star Trek in order. We have done one episode for every single episode of the original series. And we're only like one or two episodes away from being done with the animated series, at which point we're doing the movies. And then by the middle of the summer, we're going to be starting to do one episode one podcast per episode of Star Trek Next Generation. Yep. Which will take a while, but we'll Because that, that one lasted seven bloody seasons. Yeah. They were long seasons. Yeah, they were not short seasons. So, mm. But it's fun, and we're yeah. doing it. People, you know, they're enjoying it. Small blessing. The second season, which was general, like it was made during a writer's strike, yeah. generally poor quality. Shortest one. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, but in any case, yeah, if you join the Patreon at that level now, and there's there's... Additional exclusive shows at every single level of our Patreon. Uh, but if you join at the Star Trek level now, there's like 90 episodes that are just backlogged, just waiting for you to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's true for a lot of our other shows as well. We got shows about Batman, we got all kinds of the Oscars, mm-hmm. Disney, a whole bunch of stuff. Right. Um, so. And this is our letters episode. We I read letters like emails, but we'll read paper letters. That's true. I'll read directly off the paper. You'll hear it ruffle on the mic uh, and uh, if if you send it to our post office box uh, send it to the critically acclaimed network P.O. Box 641565 Los Angeles, California 90064 um, I'll get it yeah yeah. I, I, I got a key you can also contact us the old fashioned way on Twitter uh, we're <laughs> at Critic I can't even do it with straight face we're at Critic Acclaim I'm at William Bibiani I'm at Whitney Seibold don't forget if you like soap some people mentioned the soap on the show we're incredibly grateful to you uh, look, at, uh, look for Etsy on our Etsy store, Salt Cat Soap, all one word. Also, Salt Cat Soap can be followed on Twitter and Instagram, all one word, Salt Cat Soap. Uh, soaps designed by the incredible M. Lapis da Silva, a few by myself, are available for sale. They are fancy soaps. They are handcrafted. They smell amazing. Mm-hmm. 
We got gift sets aplenty. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they're, they make wonderful gifts. They're good for just trading yourself. Everyone needs soap. You might as well get the good stuff. It's all cat soap. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, yeah, thank you, everybody, who's already purchased some. Uh, thank you for your, the reviews have been really, really great, and that's super exciting. And so we're really grateful for that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess that's that. So thank you, everybody, once again, for writing in. Sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. <laughs>